morning, friends. Thank you, music team. That was sweet, wasn't it? Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, continue to move through the seven letters to the churches. And it's interesting as you study it, um, first church, Ephesus, last church, Laodicea are, are really in danger of having their lampstand removed. Then you have two and six that are doing really well, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia. And then you have the middle three that are kind of mixed. They have good and bad. So it's just even interesting, the symmetry of the seven, uh, the way that the Lord and his wisdom has laid it out. Maybe that's helpful for you to remember. Let's read in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is God's word. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. For behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to this text, which is initially addressed to these Christians in Smyrna, Lord, it is addressed to us today, for we believe that all of your word is profitable, living and active, needed to equip us for every good work. So Lord, as we come to it and we recognize the reality of suffering that we're all dealing with, I, I pray especially for those who are suffering today. Lord, for those with chronic pain that just won't go away. To wake up every day and have to manage it, deal with it, have your attention drawn to it. We pray, Lord, for a special mercy on those who are walking through that. Grant them hope. Grant them confidence that there will be a day the pain will end oftentimes in this life, but for sure in the next life. Lord, we pray for those who struggle, not just physically in their body, but in their mind, which so often is a physical issue. Troubled minds, we, we pray, Lord, that uh, even crippling anxiety, fear, uh, social anxiety, we pray for that suffering, Lord, for it is part of the fall. And we know that only in security in the gospel and who we are in Jesus Christ and your love and your care can we be free. So I pray that the gospel would come home to those struggling with mental struggles. We pray for those, Lord, who have children who are not walking with the Lord. What a burden that is to carry. 
Lord, I imagine they feel it every day, maybe every hour, that their kids are on their heart. So we pray for those children, for your mercy and your grace. And we also pray for the parents and the grandparents, that their hope would not falter, their confidence would be in you. They would continue to pray and be faithful in the opportunities they have. We pray for those who are in hard marriages where it's just a struggle. Maybe it's a season, maybe it's a, a long period of time, but Lord, help them to be faithful to their vows. Cause the vows to keep them even when they don't feel like staying. Help them to patiently endure, to love as a choice, to, to commit and be committed as you are committed to us, Lord. So many other things that uh, I know these brothers and sisters bring on their heart today. And Lord, we just pray for your mercy. We pray for your grace. We pray they would lean into you and not away from you. For you are a God who understands. You are a God who never leaves or never forsakes. Who provides and sustains in our deepest and darkest valleys. So help us to learn today, Lord, from the church in Smyrna. Cause this word to be effectual in our lives. May it transform and change us. May we not leave unchanged, for we are encountering the true and living God this morning. We ask for your power, Holy Spirit, to be among us in mighty ways. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to hear the Lord addressing his churches, including ours, we come to Smyrna, written through the Apostle John. And as I said, Smyrna is one of only two churches out of the seven to receive only encouragement. Um, it's interesting when you think about it that way, uh, five out of the seven have some issues. You know, so that's probably reflective of the church today, would you say? Not, uh, uh, not incredibly healthy. Not way off the reservation, but somewhere in the middle, um, struggling in some ways. If you were to judge Smyrna by American church standards, would you agree with Jesus that this is a success story? He's saying it is, that these people are a success story. Would you agree if you were judging by the standards that we often judge by in American evangelical circles today? So if you were judging by those standards, you'd be asking things like, how big is your church? Oh, it's pretty small? 50 people? That can't be good. How big's your budget? Oh, it's not half a million, a million? That, that can't be good. Um, how big's your building? You know, is it have all the modern accoutrements, things that people, how many, how many pastors do you have on staff? Oh, just one? Hmm. How many books have they written? None? Hmm. You do a podcast, though, right? Just like the, the, the highest level of success, no offense, is, is a podcast, okay, or a book. It's like, you know you can self-publish your book and just put it out on Amazon. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but yet we hold it up very high. Um... You have a lot of programs, right? 
Got a lot of stuff doing, moving, shaking. You have status in the community. People like you. People think well of you. If we judge by those standards, this church is a failure. And yet Jesus does not see it like that. He says it's a raging success. Weak, poor, small, successful. By his standards, which are the ones that count, by the way, as much as we want to get into all that other stuff and it's, you know, fun to talk about and it's our culture, it's not the standards that Jesus is measuring by. Smyrna is still around today. It's known as Izmir in modern Turkey. In ancient times, it was a large church, 60,000 to 100,000 people. We also know it was filled with idolatry and thus demonic activity. It was a city of idols. The city had built a temple dedicated to the goddess Roma. So if you lived there, you would see that all the time. Roma was a goddess that they believed uh, personified the Roman spirit. Okay, the, the civic pride of Rome. In 26 AD, Smyrna beat out 10 other cities for the privilege of building a temple to the emperor Tiberius. So just like today, there are competitions, celebrations, and parades for the things that God sends people to hell for. It's a competition to, to see who can be the best at practicing idolatry. And they won. Smyrna was a hub of the imperial cult. So imperial meaning the Roman emperor. The Caesar said, I'm a god. You must worship me. This was a hub of the cult. And therefore, it was a hub for demonic and satanic activity. So from a human perspective, there's not a lot to like here. You're not really changing the culture. Um, people don't like you in town. They don't want you there. You haven't had a lot of converts. Your small church. Um, it's really tough sledding. Maybe we should just pack up and go somewhere else. I mean, if you're on the church planning committee, you might be like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we pull the plug here. But from Jesus' perspective, he says, I know you're weak, poor, you don't look like much, but actually you're rich. Spiritually, you are rich. In my eyes, well done. Well done. Friends, make sure you're evaluating your own life, your own church, by the right standards. Sometimes we have Trouble, affliction, tribulation, we get sick, we have pain, family members don't like us, friends don't like us, we feel like an outcast, and we think, Lord must not be pleased with me. He must be punishing me. I must be in trouble for something that I did, because these things wouldn't be happening if I was doing well in his eyes. It may be he's very pleased with you. If you're being faithful, if you're living for him. We want to learn from the saints in Smyrna. In fact, they are still suffering for Jesus in our day. Let me tell you one of their stories reported by Christianity today. Wearing the heavy beard that marked him as a devout Muslim, Najati 
would never have taken the seat on the bus next to a Christian woman. But he was tired, and the public transportation system in Izmir, the city known in the New Testament as Smyrna, was overcrowded on that day in 1994. He would have never have spoken to Shemsa, but he was curious about the book she was reading. Shemsa should never have told him about the Bible. In Turkey, Christians suspected of attempting to proselytize Muslims can find themselves under arrest. Najati accused her of being a foreign missionary. Shemsa considered herself a loyal Turk, so she boldly responded, We should all be missionaries of our faith. Aren't you a missionary? Her response caught him off guard, and he acquired again with sincerity. And so began a friendship between Najati and Shemsa centered on Jesus. Each day they talked on the bus. As she went to her job as a secretary, he went to classes with a radical Islamic teacher. Within a year, Najati quit school and accepted the claims of Jesus Christ. He was disowned by his family, who threatened to kill Shemsa. He lost his job in the process. The two had also become engaged to marry. In a culture where family is everything, the, cu the couple was cut off and alone. We were so scared, but in love. Najati soon grew as committed to outreach as his wife. In 2000, he served a month in prison on trumped-up charges when police caught him distributing Christian literature. The couple attended Karata's Christian Fellowship in Izmir, where Pastor Zakai Tanyar officiated their wedding. In 2004, they relocated to Malatya, a remote eastern Turkey community known for its conservative Islamic and ultra-nationalist sympathies. Najati directed the local publishing house and pastored a small church. On April 18, 2007, Najati kissed his wife goodbye and left for the office. Two hours later, he and two other Christians, Tilman Geski and Ugar Yuxel, were dead. Najati's first appointment of the day was a Bible study with several Turkish youth who were exploring the claims of Christianity. But instead, these false seekers turned on the three men in the office. They tied them up, then beat them, and stabbed them repeatedly. As the police arrived, the killers cut the Christians' throats. All five suspects reportedly carried identical notes in their pockets, declaring, We did this for our country. They are attacking our religion. Najati is survived by Shemsa, 38, a son, Eliza, 7, and a daughter, Esther, 6. Shemsa has publicly forgiven the men who killed her husband. But when she looks into the eyes of her children, she hopes she can maintain a forgiving spirit. I have not been able to do this. It has been Christ, a miracle from God. Elisa plays with his food and wants to be a pilot. He chatters excitedly, listening, listing the treasures in his life. Spider-Man, airplanes. Then he remembers one more and becomes somber. My daddy died. Did you know my daddy? Esther pipes in quietly. My daddy died in his office. Shems has no regrets about their ministry. She talks about a harvest of souls there. They saw 15 people come to faith in three years, which is impressive in Turkey's hard soil. I see my family as victorious, 
she says. Her brother-in-law, also a pastor, has received threats on his life. Their landlord asked them all to move, citing concerns about the neighbor's safety. Christ said the road is narrow and difficult, says Shemta. If you choose this road, it won't be easy. If you get too comfortable, it can take your faith. I want to be on the narrow road. This is what it looks like to conquer. To the world, this is a senseless tragedy. To Jesus, this is a victory. This is victory. So hear the call. Take up your cross again and again and again because there's a crown of life waiting for you. As I read the letter to Smyrna, I believe it's asking us this question. Are you willing? Are you willing to lose everything? Jesus says, someone who is not willing to lose everything is not worthy to follow him. Are you willing? You will lose everything. Everything you care about in this life, it will be taken from you. That's a fact. Are you willing and ready to lose it for Jesus? You have to answer that question before the fight comes to your door. Because it will be tempting to turn away when your livelihood, when your family, when your home, when people you care about are on the line. It will be tempting. So you need to settle this in your heart before that moment. That's not the moment to decide. The decision needs to be made long before that. Folks, it's all about expectations. If you expect glory now, healthy, happy, prosperous lives, you're not going to be real happy when Jesus calls you to suffer for his name. You're not going to like that. But if you believe suffering comes now and glory later, the losses will still hurt. But you can view them from the perspective that loss is gain because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That's supernatural. But it's true. Let's read together, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, and we said last week the angel is probably a literal angel guarding this church and also representing the people of the church. The words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. Now, in every letter, Jesus chooses his words very carefully to each church. So the city of Smyrna had been destroyed. It had died. It was rebuilt by Alexander the Great, 290 B.C. It came back to life. Not to mention that there are martyrs here. They're losing their lives for their faith. Jesus says, I did too. 
and I came back to life. So this is not a, it's not by accident. He says these things. They're, they're, they're powerful ways to communicate so that they get the point because they can identify with these things. In every letter, he's doing this. Verse 2, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. As we talked about in church history class last week, the Jews had gained a special exemption from the Romans that they did not have to worship the emperor. Rome saw them as an ancient, old religion. They respected them. They said, okay, you must have something related to the truth here in Judaism. So, you know, we've conquered you, and we don't want any trouble. We want you to just be able to practice your religion so you may not worship the emperor if you choose. You can be monotheistic. <laughs> now, the Jews were not excited to extend that exemption to the Christians. They're like, we're not with them. They're not associated with us. We're not crazy like they are, worshiping this Jesus person as though he's God and Lord. You know they say Jesus is Lord. They don't say Caesar is Lord. And they ain't with us. So they're not doing the Christians any favors here. The Jews are persecuting them. They were instigating persecution on several levels. One was physical, physical suffering. So it was common in that day for Roman and Jewish mobs to raid the homes of Christians and just take their stuff. So you, you're just a quiet Monday night. You're at home. You got your feet up on the recliner. You're watching Ted Lasso or... The Vikings lose or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you're, whatever's your pleasure. And you hear a noise outside, you go and you look, and it's a literal mob that's walking down the street. Torches lit, they come to your house, they knock down the door, smack you and your family around a little bit, take whatever they want, take your TV, take your wallets, say, this is what it's going to be like, Christians, unless you get on board with what's going on around here. Not only that, not only were they taking their stuff, but Christians could not get jobs because the local guilds, you know, the unions of that day, participated in emperor worship in the imperial cult. So for your job, you had to be worshiping the emperor as part of your daily routine. So the next day, you go into the office and your Jewish coworker turns you in, says to your boss, hey, you know, she's a Christian. He's a Christian. They don't worship the emperor. Did you know that? So your boss comes over to you. Is this true? You won't honor the emperor as Lord? And you have to make a decision. You say no, you lose your job. Good luck getting hired at the office down the street. This is what it was like. This was normal. This has been normal for most of Christianity's history. wasn't only physical suffering, it was slander. The Jews are slandering. The word in the Greek is blaspheming the Christians, which is interesting. God considers people saying bad things about you as though they're being said about him. It's blasphemy. So remember that when it happens to you, when someone doesn't like you, when someone gossips about you, when someone undercuts you, because in some sense you're different as a Christian. God takes offense to that personally for you because he identifies with you 
as his people. That is amazing. He's not afraid to be identified with you. Remember that when you feel like so hurt by what somebody said. God is hurt too. And he's going to deal with them because it's a blasphemy. Jesus then says these ethnic Jews are not actually Jews. What does he mean? He means to be a true Jew, a true Israelite, you must believe in the greatest Jew, Jesus Christ. True Israel is spiritual Israel. True Israel is the church. Because it's not about outward things, your blood, your nationality, where you're from. It's about the internal Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You are part of the true Israel of God. Paul says it so clearly in Romans 9. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Think about that. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So Abraham, the man of faith. Just because you have a certain ethnicity doesn't mean anything. This means that it is not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise. Do you believe the promises of the gospel? This is why Jesus tells the Pharisees, don't think because you have Abraham as your father, you're good. Oh, no, your father is the devil. I don't know why they wanted to kill him. Nice saying nice things like that, being very courteous and polite. Folks, this is not some minor infraction. In a spiritual sense, Jesus is saying that Jews who do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah are one with Satan. They're on the same team. They're pulling in the same direction. And if that's true for Judaism, how much more for any organization, any so-called church that, that doesn't believe in the Bible fully, holy, only, doesn't preach the gospel, how much more is it true for them who say, we're the true church, we have the truth, this is where you find God. It's a house of demons. That's what Jesus is saying, you cannot get around it. It's demonic. So-called churches, so-called churches, even if they have really nice people, even if the people who go there or participate there are really nice people, they're your neighbors who stop by and say hi, you talk to them, your kids play together. From Jesus' perspective, their church is evil. So let that motivate your evangelism. Nice people need Jesus. Don't assume because they're nice, they're doing fine. You know, we have to go after the real reprobates with the gospel. Nice people. Nice people. You want them as your neighbor. They, they need Jesus. They, they, They've been blinded. They've been deceived. Let it motivate you to talk to them, reach out to them, 
Share the good news with them. Set them free. It should also, this truth, should motivate your gratitude that you've been saved, that you have been set free, that your eyes, the scales have fallen from your eyes because apart from God's choosing you, his free sovereign grace in your life, we could easily, easily be just like that. Nice, normal people going about our lives thinking everything's fine and we're going to hell. That could be me, that could be you so easily. Thank you, Lord. Praise you for coming in and intervening in my life. I don't know why, me, nothing special about me, just that you love me. Let it motivate your gratitude. Verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, he's saying, pay close attention now. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. So Jesus promises more suffering. Um, what can we learn? What can we learn from his words? Four things. Number one, don't fear the future. And that's that's kind of hard <laughs> when you say um, some of you are going to be thrown into prison and probably executed for your faith. Don't be afraid. Where would your mind go? Well, like, am I one of those people? Or when is this going to happen? Or how, is it going to hurt? How bad is it going to be? What's going to happen to my family? Like a million things. And Jesus, don't, don't be afraid. Don't fear the future. See, we think by fearing what might happen, we can control what will happen. It don't work like that. It doesn't work. All worrying about the future does is ruin the present. That's all it does. It doesn't change or fix anything other than just ruin your day. Jesus is saying, let it go. Even when I tell you what's going to happen, it's not going to be easy. Let it go. I got you. I'm with you. So, number two, God determines the severity of your suffering. Some, some, not all, will be thrown in prison, singled out for a particular affliction. And in that day, the Romans didn't put you in prison as a sentence for a crime like we did. You didn't go to prison like for the rest of your life. You went there to wait your, for your trial or to be executed. It was just kind of a holding place. Probably that's the case here. Some of them are going to be executed for their faith, and they're going to prison probably to wait for that. So when you feel like you're being picked out for some extra special suffering by the Lord, anybody ever felt that? Like, Lord, could you take it easy on me just for a minute? Like, I just had that thing happen. Why does this have to happen? What's going to happen next? When you feel that, like he's picked you out for special suffering, remember, the wisest, most merciful, most compassionate person, Jesus Christ, chose that for you. 
No one, including the devil, can do anything to you without a divine permission slip. That's the truth. And when Jesus sends these tests to us, and he does send them, he says, I see you, I'm sending you this because I love you. I see you, I'm sending you this because I love you. I see you, I'm sending you this because I love you. Here's why he does it. To empty us of ourselves so we can be filled with him. Nothing, nothing destroys pride, selfishness, arrogance, ego, like suffering. He strips us down so he can build us back up better in his image. Johnny says it like this. To be reduced to nothing is to be dragged to the foot of the cross. It is a severe mercy. Our dark side hates it. Our enlightened side recognizes it as home base. Suffering forces us to our knees at the foot of Calvary and we die to self. We cannot kneel there for long without releasing our pride and anger, unclasping our dreams and desires. In exchange, God imparts power and implants new and lasting hope. So we rise renewed. I mean to say, I know some of you have been through really hard things in your life. Really hard things. And so often we can let those hard things pull us and push us away from God for a variety of reasons. Maybe we're angry. Maybe we don't understand. We're confused. Maybe we feel like we did something wrong. Maybe you feel like you did something wrong. And I can't come back to God because, you know, it's my fault. I would just say, let those suffering and afflictions draw you near to God, not away from Listen, Christianity is the only religion where God actually comes down and suffers. It's the only one. Every other God stands back and says, you deal with it. You made the mess. You clean it up. God comes down to us in Jesus Christ and gets his hands dirty in the mess. He knows what you've gone through. He knows. He feels it. He's experienced it as God. That is a God I want to serve. That is a God I can respect. If you have not trusted in him, the reason that he did that, put himself through that, he didn't need that, is for the forgiveness of your sins. Yeah, you made the mess, but he said, I'm going to clean it up for you because I love you. Now receive me, believe in me, trust in me, and all will be well. So if you have not, Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people, if you have not, and maybe it takes suffering in your life to to reduce you to ash so that the Lord then looks merciful and beautiful and you cry out to him for help. I, I hope not. I don't want you to suffer any more than you have to. This is Jesus. Number three, some suffering is unavoidable. 
Some suffering is unavoidable. You will have tribulation. Now, I have a hard time with this one. <laughs> I'm always thinking about how I could have avoided the suffering that I'm experiencing. Anyone relate to that? Like what? Like I'm sick and I'm thinking back, like how did I get sick? Oh, why did I let her drink out of my cup? What an idiot. What was I doing? Get your own cup. Now I'm sick. You think back, you're second-guessing everything. Just don't do that to yourself, okay? <laughs> don't do that. Um, don't beat yourself up. Don't waste time second-guessing. Sometimes it's just unavoidable because God has ordained it. Nothing you can do. You couldn't have, you know, made the right moves to get out of it. God has just ordained it, so we need to accept it. It's okay. Number four. God determines the length of your suffering. Jesus has it on the divine calendar. This tribulation will only last for 10 days. It's symbolic for a short period of time. So to those of you who are suffering right now in any way, I can say in the name of Jesus, it will end. It will end. For the Christian, there is always light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see, especially if you can't see. You know, the valley of the shadow of death is just that. It's a valley. You're going to walk through it. You're going to come out of it. Listen, whatever pain, whatever suffering, God does not ask, ask you to fix it. God does not ask you to fix it. He does not ask you to figure it out. He doesn't ask you to be happy about it. Yay, pain. All he asks is that you're faithful. That's it. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So the way of the cross is this. The heart of our faith is this. Life comes out of death. Life comes out of death. And as you come through every death in your Christian life, and you die many times, you start to see things differently. If you talk to older saints, you hear this. Okay, They start to look at it differently. The pain, the trauma, the hurt fades. Only the results matter. Like a mom who just went through 18 hours of excruciating labor, holding her baby. It's, it just kind of fades, and, and only the result matters. Like a soldier who just planted the flag of victory after years of war. Like an athlete who just crossed the finish line after grueling training for months. He's not thinking about that. He's thinking about the result, what he has, what he gained. So when you're tempted to give up, and we all will at some point, remember this. No Christian, even those brutally murdered like Najati, has ever gotten to the other side and said, man, that wasn't worth it. I wish I would have lived a little more selfishly uh, before. I wish I would have done a little more for me. No one has ever said that. Ever. They've been like, man, that was so worth it. Even though I was beheaded 
or eaten by lions or burned at the stake. Man, that was worth it. I am so glad I did that. Have you decided who you are? Because the first death we're all going to experience, and all that does is usher us into heaven. The second death, the final judgment, can't hurt you if you're with Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sweet word of encouragement of your sovereignty to your suffering people. Help us, Lord, to receive it in our time. Even though circumstances are are different, we're thankful we don't face exactly what these Christians are facing, but we do face persecution, and we don't know what the next next (laughs) month, next year, next generation will look like. We don't know, and we want to be ready for whatever comes down the pike to not be afraid, to not worry about it, but just to be ready. So help us now, Lord, uh, fix our resolve in our hearts toward that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.